The following sermon, entitled A Praying Life, was preached on the morning of April 3, 2022, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open God's Word this morning to the book of Mark. We will read from two different portions in this Gospel account. First in Mark chapter 1, verses 29-39, through 39, and then a couple of verses out of chapter 6. Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 29. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at evening, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many that were sick with diverse diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him, and when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek after for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. Now let's turn to chapter 6. And we will read verses 45 through 52. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. And straightway he constrained them. This is just after the feeding of the 5,000, by the way. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when evening was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. And they considered not the miracle, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Thus far we read God's word. It's on the basis of these passages and many others that we have the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 45. 
Lord's Day 45. This is found in the back of our songbooks on page 25. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because it is the chief part of thankfulness which God requires of us, and also because God will give His grace and Holy Spirit to those only who with sincere desires continually ask them of Him and are thankful for them. What are the requisites of that prayer which is acceptable to God and which He will hear? First, that we from the heart pray to the one true God only, who hath manifested Himself in His Word for all things He hath commanded us to ask of Him. Secondly, that we rightly and thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may deeply humble ourselves in the presence of His divine majesty. Thirdly, that we be fully persuaded that He, notwithstanding that we are unworthy of it, will for the sake of Christ our Lord certainly hear our prayer as He hath has promised us in His Word. What hath God commanded us to ask Him? All things necessary for soul and body which Christ our Lord has comprised in that prayer He Himself has taught us. What are the words of that prayer? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There was once a barber who wanted to learn how to pray. This man's name was Peter Beskendorf. And one of his clients, who happened also to be his friend, was none other than the reformer Martin Luther. And whether the conversation took place while Martin Luther was getting a haircut or in some other setting, it is evident that this man, Peter, asked Martin Luther for advice, for guidance regarding how to pray. And we know that because in response to this, Martin Luther wrote a short little practical work on prayer entitled, A Simple Way to Pray with the subheading, How One Should Pray for Peter, the Master Barber. Now the point in bringing this up is that it illustrates the reality that God's people generally are looking for instruction and guidance regarding prayer. We want to grow in our prayer lives. This important aspect of the Christian life as a whole. And it's exactly because we have this desire. We see the value of the catechism and its inclusion of the Lord's prayer in what it all treats and what it all gives instruction on. For in this way, we have a regular opportunity to come back to the Lord's Prayer and to receive that instruction we want as those who are thankful for our salvation. And now if, we're going to, if we are going to learn how to pray, there is no one better to whom we can go than our Savior Jesus Christ Himself. Certainly, we can 
read what Martin Luther himself wrote down in his little book and receive instruction from something like that or what others have written about prayer. But then we'd have to ask the question, well, how did they learn to pray? And the answer would ultimately be from God's Word and ultimately from Christ Himself because Christ Himself not only delivers us from our sins, but also teaches us. He gives us instruction. That instruction includes how we are to pray. It's exactly because we learn prayer ultimately from our Savior that as we consider Lord's Days 45-52, through the section of the Catechism regarding prayer, as we consider these Lord's Days, we are going to use as our Scripture reading each time various passages taken from the Gospels from the life and ministry of Jesus Christ in which we either hear Him giving instruction about prayer or, as will be the case more often, as we hear Christ Himself praying. But before we can get into the specifics, we need to learn a fundamental lesson about prayer, namely this. Prayer is to characterize our lives as Christians. Our lives must be a praying life. Even as it was for our Savior Jesus Christ. So this morning we begin the Catechism's treatment concerning prayer by looking at Lord's Day 45 using as our theme a praying life. A praying life. First, we will look at the necessity and priority of prayer. Secondly, at the manner and content of prayer. And then third, at the comfort and encouragement for prayer. What is prayer? Well, there are many different definitions that have been given. For example, Calvin defined prayer as an intimate conversation of the pious with God. In a similar vein, Herman Hanko in his book on prayer defined prayer as a holy conversation between the living and true God and the redeemed child of God. Or we could define prayer as the reverent words of a regenerated believer spoken consciously before the face of our God. But you recognize that in all of those prayers we find the same elements, this idea of coming into God's presence and speaking unto Him out of faith. That's what prayer is. And the catechism emphasizes the necessity, the importance of prayer. It does so at the very outset of its treatment in question and answer 116. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? And it gives us Two reasons. We want to look at each of them in turn. And then we'll add a a third reason why prayer is necessary. Start with the two in the catechism first. Because it is the chief part of thankfulness which God requires of us. And the catechism here is clearly drawing from Scripture. For example, in Psalm 116, the psalmist, having been delivered from death, says in verse 12 of that psalm, What shall I render unto the Lord? That is, how can I show, how can I express my thankfulness for my deliverance? And in the verses that follow, he speaks 
multiple times about prayer. He says in verse 13, I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Verse 17, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. What these verses are teaching us is that one of the ways that we express our gratitude to God for our salvation is through prayer. And really, the catechism goes a step further and says prayer is the, the chief part of thankfulness. That's striking. Not coming to church. Not putting money in the collection plate. Not visiting an elderly saint or the sick. Not saying no to some sin or temptation or any other good work that we might perform. But prayer. Prayer is the chief part of our thankfulness to God. Which raises the question for us, what does our own prayer life say about how thankful we are? Is it a testimony to the fact that our hearts are bursting with gratitude for our salvation? Or is our prayer life evidence that our hearts have grown cold? Insofar as it's the latter, that means what we need more than anything is a renewed sense of thankfulness for salvation. So that the instruction this morning is not, you need to pray more. But instead, what we need is to look at the cross. Look to our Savior Jesus Christ and meditate upon the wondrous salvation that He has accomplished because when our minds and our hearts are fixed on that, then prayer will truly become spontaneous for the child of God. He will not be able to keep His mouth closed in prayer unto God. So the first reason prayer is necessary is because it's the chief part of thankfulness. Second, prayer is necessary because God gives us what we stand in need of as we ask for it. That's the second part of question answer 116. Why is prayer necessary? And also because God will give His grace and Holy Spirit to those only who with sincere desires continually ask them of Him and are thankful for them. And again, the catechism is clearly drawing from Scripture here. For example, in Matthew 7, verse 7, we read, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. And now, standing behind this verse is the fundamental truth that of ourselves, we are devoid and destitute of any good thing. We have a great lack. We have a great want for all the things that we stand in need of. And what is more, whatever we do not have of ourselves, whatever we need, whatever we lack is ultimately found in God. And God the Father is the, the source of all things. And God the Son as the treasury of all those good things that we stand in need of. 
And now what Matthew 7, verse 7 in the Heidelberg Catechism is teaching us is that God would have us ask for the things that we need and that God gives the things that gives these good gifts to those who ask for them. Calvin explained it this way that it's by the benefit of prayer that we reach those riches which are laid up in God the Father. Elsewhere, he, he used a different analogy of digging, that it's by prayer that we dig the treasure that's been set forth before us by the Gospel that our eyes have gazed upon by faith. In other words, God gives us the things that we stand in need of by way of prayer. Now it means it would be foolish to stop praying. To stop bringing our needs to our God. Since we know that He is the overflowing fountain of all good, and we know that He even calls us to request what we need from Him, it would be foolish not to pray. It would be as foolish as a man deciding not to go dig up some treasure that's been buried and hidden even after it's been pointed out to Him. And all of this speaks to the necessity, the importance of prayer. God gives us what we stand in need of as we ask for it. So those are the two reasons that the catechism itself gives us regarding the necessity of prayer. Now we can add a third that's in a way more fundamental, namely, God commands prayer. And we say that in light of the third commandment. The third commandment forbids taking God's name in vain. Any sinful use of God's name. Well, the positive of the third commandment is not never use His name at all, but the positive is use His name with fear and reverence. Invoke His name, which is to say, pray in His name. Pray to our God. And that's why when we scan the pages of Scripture, we find many different passages that call us to pray, such as 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. And what this is teaching us is that prayer is a command. And that comes out even in the very wording of question 118, what hath God commanded us to ask of Him? And now to be sure, Prayer is at the same time a privilege. An astounding privilege. Something that Christ Himself has earned for us by His own death on the cross. He bought us. He purchased for us the right to speak to our God. To go to Him in prayer. To approach His throne of grace. But at the very same time, God bids us to pray so that even if there was no spiritual value for us in prayer. Even if we never received anything by way of prayer, we would still have the calling to pray to our God knowing that it gives honor and glory to Him. That's the necessity of prayer. And it's in light of the necessity of prayer that we recognize that for us, prayer must be a priority. A priority even as it was for our Savior Jesus Christ. 
For one of the many things that stands out from the Gospel accounts is how frequently Christ could be found praying. There are many different references. Christ prayed, for example, at His baptism. He prayed just before choosing His twelve disciples. He prayed in connection with the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. He prayed before He asked His disciples whom they said that He was. He prayed at the, the tomb of Lazarus. He prayed at the Mount of Transfiguration. He prayed just before He called His people to come to Me and find rest in Me. And we could give example after example after example of all the different prayers of our Savior Jesus Christ. But the overall point is that His life as a whole was a life of prayer. This was a priority for Him. And so much so, he made, that He made sure to find the time to pray and appropriate places to pray. And we say those two things, especially in light of the history that we read in connection with this sermon. First, Jesus Christ made time to pray. We see that in Mark chapter 1. After a long, busy day of laboring, we read that the next morning, verse 35, This is Mark 1, verse 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, He went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. In the morning, a great rising up a great while before day, while it's still dark out, Christ woke up so that He could have time to pray before all the people started coming to Him again. This was a priority for him. And what is more, we see that he would often find an appropriate place to pray. It comes out here in this verse when it says that he departed into a solitary place. And we find something similar in Mark chapter 6, for example. Mark 6, verse 46, after he's dismissed the crowds. When He had sent them away, He departed into a mountain to pray. Christ wanted to be alone. Before He goes immediately to His disciples to help them, He first goes up to the top of a mountain. Why? To pray. To enjoy communion, fellowship with His Father. And this underscores the overall point. Prayer was a priority for Him. But why did he need to pray? He's God after all. What petition could he he possibly have? Well, the reason that it was needful even for Christ to pray was that he's not only divine, he's also human. It's on account of his humanity that he likewise felt the need to pray. And it's taking into account His humanity that we can even make educated guesses as to the the content, the substance of these prayers that are mentioned here in Mark 1 and Mark 6. Mark chapter 1. He was up late because of all these people coming to Him in order to be healed. Scripture tells us that it was after the sun had already gone down that 
people just kept on coming and coming. So he's up late and now he's waking up early the next morning in order to pray. And is it too much of a stretch to suppose that a part of his prayer that morning was God grant me strength? Undoubtedly, there was more to the prayer than that. But I do not think it's too much of a stretch to suppose he was praying for strength as one who had a weakened human nature. And in Mark 6, what's the context there? He's just fed the 5,000 who both that night and the next day want to make Him king. They want to make Him an earthly king. And we recognize in that a temptation from the devil. The devil trying to persuade Him to go some other path than the path leading to the cross. This is a temptation for Christ to have all these people coming to Him, wanting them wanting to make Him their King. And thus again, it's not too much of a stretch to suppose that a part of His prayer was that He might be found faithful. That He would not depart from the pathway leading to the cross, but that He would continue down that road though it meant suffering and humiliation. And all of this is to say, Christ's life was a praying life. Is that true of us? Is prayer characteristic of our lives? Or, are we so caught up in the busyness of life we never have time to pray? Are we so distracted by technology that we no longer have the focus to pray? Or, even worse, is it the case that we do not view a private and intimate and holy conversation with God to be all that important? The temptation for us always is to allow prayer to be pushed aside. And that underscores the wisdom of the catechism in starting where it does. Why is prayer necessary? It does not start with defining prayer. It does not start with talking about the manner in which we pray. It does not leap into the content of our prayer, but it asks the fundamental question, why? Why is it necessary? And it does that to drive home the importance of prayer. Exactly because we're so prone to neglecting this part of the Christian life. Prayer is crucial for our lives. It's to be a a priority for us. And that means making time for it. Maybe that means beginning our day with prayer. First thing in the morning is a good time to pray. And we find that not only in the example of Christ here, we find that in Psalm chapter 5, for example. Psalm 5, verse 3, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. Even if it means waking up 10-15 minutes earlier. 
It's good to begin the day with prayer when we have the the whole of the day out in front of us. But not just in the morning. At different times all throughout the day. Even as Daniel prayed all throughout the day, so such a habit was prayer for him. A good habit. That his enemies could even count on it. They, They knew when and where they could find Daniel praying. Is that true of us? That others can expect like clockwork, so and so will be praying at such a time of day. It's important that we make the time for it. And maybe that includes finding an appropriate place for prayer. Now likely, that's not going to involve going up to the top of a mountain or going out into the desert like Jesus often did. But maybe it does involve going to that closet, going to that secret place, closing the door behind us so that we can spend a few moments alone with our God. And you understand why this is so important for us. Because not only are we humans, but what is worse, we are sinners. If Christ found it needful to pray on account of His weakened humanity, how much more do we need prayer on account of our sinful humanity? We are utterly and completely dependent on God for all things, physically and spiritually. We need Christ every hour. His grace, His Spirit, His help. And thus we are to make prayer a priority. But now having been reminded of that, the question becomes, how are we to pray? And that brings us to the manner and the content of prayer. And that's where the catechism goes next. Having explained the necessity of prayer, we read in question answer 117, what are the requisites of that prayer which is acceptable to God and which He will hear? And the idea of requisites is here's how we are to pray. Here's the manner in which we are to pray. And the catechism says three things regarding a proper manner of prayer. First, To summarize that we pray from the heart to the one true God. The Catechism puts it this way. First, that we from the heart pray to the one true God only who hath manifested Himself in His Word for all things that He hath commanded us to ask of Him. First, we are to pray from the heart. Which means... It's not necessarily the case that if our mouths are speaking some spiritual sounding words, that we are necessarily praying. In fact, our mouths are the part that is not absolutely necessary. What's most important is our hearts. Prayer must arise from the heart. Even if the mouth is not engaged at all. And we say that in light of Scripture. For example, God warns against prayers that are said only with the mouth and not from the heart. Isaiah chapter 29, He declares judgment on those who draw near Me with their mouth 
and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me. Over against that, we're to pray from the heart. Even as we're taught in Psalm 145, verse 18, the Lord is nigh unto them, unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. The key being in truth, truly calling upon him from the heart. From the heart to the one true God. Not unto idols. Because though they have ears, they hear not. Not unto saints, because God has not assigned to them the calling of aiding us and assisting us. Not to angels, for though God has assigned to them the calling to be ministers unto us, He would not have us invoke them directly. He would not have us ask them for help specifically. And not unto a God of our imagination, because God has manifested Himself in His Word. He has told us who He is, and we are to pray in harmony with that. Which is to say we are to pray from the heart to the one true living God. That first of all concerning the right manner of prayer. Second, we are to pray with deep humility on account of our sinfulness and God's majesty. That's where the catechism goes next. Secondly, that we rightly and thoroughly know our need and misery, that so we may deeply humble ourselves in the presence of His divine majesty. We are to pray with humility. That is, we must not be guilty of praying with the pride of the Pharisee who stood on the corner of the street and prayed, God, I am thankful that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, idolaters, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. That's a proud prayer. And the reality is that is no prayer at all. And that comes out even from how Christ speaks of such a prayer when He introduces that prayer. Jesus said, and the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with Himself. And the idea is literally toward Himself. He's not praying to God at all. He's praying to Himself for Himself for, his, for the sake of His own self-righteousness. That's not prayer. But instead, prayer arises from a humble heart. The, the humility of the publican who would not so much as lift up his head unto heaven. A humble prayer is a prayer that involves abandoning all thoughts of self-glory. Casting aside every notion of self-worth. And putting away all self-assurance. And that humility comes, according to the Catechism, from knowing our sinfulness and knowing God's majesty. The catechism begins that way when it says, secondly, that we rightly and thoroughly know our need and misery. We must know our sinfulness if we're ever going to be humble before God. And that's what we see in the publican, is it not? What was his prayer? God, be merciful to me, 
a sinner. And the idea is really the sinner. He's saying, I am the chief of sinners. Have mercy on me. That's where humility comes from. And it comes from recognizing the majesty of our God. Catechism says that so we may deeply humble ourselves in the presence of His divine majesty. It's when we recognize the holiness, the glory, the greatness of our God that there is none like unto Him, that He has no equal. That we will have this proper humility. It's when we have both a knowledge of our sin and a sense of His majesty that we say, God is everything. And I am nothing. He is the overflowing fountain of every good gift. And I am a poor spiritual beggar. That's how we are to pray with humility. So first, we pray from the heart to the one true God. Second, with humility, knowing our sinfulness and God's majesty. Third, with the confidence that He will hear us for Jesus' sake. It's the third thing the Catechism mentions. Third, that we be fully persuaded that He, notwithstanding that we are unworthy of it, will for the sake of Christ our Lord certainly hear our prayer as He has promised us in His Word. We're to pray with confidence. Is that how you pray, child of God? Is this what characterizes our prayers? Or do we pray with doubt? Maybe He will hear me today. Maybe He will not hear me today. Maybe this isn't a good time to to go to Him in prayer. I better wait a while. Insofar as that's our attitude concerning prayer, it ultimately betrays a lack of faith. And we say that because prayer, true prayer, arises out of faith. That's evident from Romans 10, verse 14. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? That's teaching us we, we cannot pray apart from true faith. And it's for this reason that Calvin called faith the, the mother of prayer. Faith ari- Prayer arises out of faith. And that means insofar as we have those doubts, as insofar as we lack this confidence, this assurance, what we need is to have our faith strengthened. Again, by looking to the cross. Because it's on the basis of that work that our God hears us. That's the catechism that He will, for the sake of Christ our Lord, certainly hear our prayer. And He hears it specifically on the basis of His perfect sacrifice. For you see, Christ did not come into this world simply to give us an example of how to pray. He did not come into this world to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to feed the masses, to calm the storms. 
All that's a part of it. But none of that is the main thing. He came into this world to be the sacrifice for our sins. He came to heal us from our spiritual diseases. He came to deliver us, to liberate us from the bondage and slavery of, to sin and Satan. He came to give us Himself, the One who is the bread from heaven that we might live. And He does all this by enduring the storm of God's wrath. Of exposing Himself to the fury of our God against our sins that He might satisfy that justice. Calm the storm as it were. And it's on the basis of that saving work that we pray. And it's knowing that He accomplished our salvation that we have the confidence that God will hear us. Our confidence is that arises out of the fact that Christ was forsaken of the Father so that we might never be forsaken. So that when we lift up our voices in prayer, He will hear us. That's our assurance. And that's the reason God will certainly hear us. So we are to pray from the heart to the one true God. We are to pray with humility and we are to pray with the confidence that God will hear us. But not only do we need instruction regarding the manner in which we are to pray, we also need instruction regarding the content of prayer and what we are to pray for. And that's where question answer 118 points us. Question 118, what hath God commanded us to ask of Him? The answer, all things necessary for soul and body, which Christ our Lord has comprised in that prayer, He Himself has taught us. And then what follows is the Lord's Prayer and the subsequent Lord's Days explain the meaning of each of these petitions. But this is teaching us for what we are to pray. And the instruction here is that it's not, we do not pray for any and every little thing that pops into our heads, nor may prayer ever become an expression of our own idolatrous desires in our heart, but we're to pray for what Christ Himself has commanded us in His Word and what He's told us to pray for are all things necessary for body and for soul, that is, physically and spiritually. And it's appropriate that we pray that exactly because we're praying to our Father. The One who has adopted us for Jesus' sake and thereby has committed Himself to caring for us. To providing us all that we stand in need of as His adopted sons and daughters. But now all of that said, we must not limit prayer and the content of prayer to only our requests, to only our petitions. And that's not the intent of the Heidelberg Catechism when it 
gives the answer that it does. Because the reality is that prayer is broader than only our petitions and only our supplications and requests. Prayer includes praise. It includes thanksgiving. It includes confession and all that will come out in the subsequent Lord's days. But it's important that we state it here because of our tendency to focus on the the petitions in prayer. Tendency comes out in a book that I read a number of years ago called A Praying Life. And I admittedly took the theme for this sermon from the title of that book. My main critique of that book was that it focused almost exclusively on the the petitions that we bring in prayer to the exclusion of any sort of instruction concerning prayer as praise, prayer as thanksgiving. And I bring this up not simply to critique a book, but I bring this up because this is what is often true of our own prayers. What do we pray for? Why are we going to our God? Is it only ever about our own needs? And now please do not misunderstand. May we pray for our own needs? Are we, should we pray for our own needs? Emphatically, yes. But the point we are making is that there's more to prayer and that our prayers should not be limited to only ever asking for what we need physically and spiritually, but they are to include these other aspects. Having heard how we are to pray and for what we are to pray, we recognize I do not pray as I ought. I often ask amiss. And I certainly do not pray nearly as much as I should. And those thoughts have a way of discouraging us. So much so that perhaps we're reluctant to pray at all. But over against such thoughts, there's comfort and encouragement for us this morning, congregation. Comfort and encouragement concerning prayer. Two things specifically. First, our comfort and encouragement is that our gracious and merciful God hears and answers even imperfect prayers. And we say that on the basis of Scripture and the fact that there are biblical examples of God hearing a prayer that is less than perfect. Think of the prayer, for example, of Samson. Children, we just went through Samson in catechism class. And do you remember what he prayed when he was holding on to those two pillars in the temple of the Philistines? Judges 16, verse 28 tells us, Strengthen me, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And now to be sure, a part of this prayer is a righteous zeal for God and for the deliverance of God's people from their enemies. But yet, Samson himself includes in his prayer 
that he wants vengeance because they took his eyes. Which is to say there's something less than wholesome that's mixed in with this prayer. But does God say, absolutely not. It's not a perfect prayer. He answered that prayer. He gave to Samson the strength that he needed to pull down those pillars so that the Philistines were destroyed. That's one example. Another example would be from Psalm 107, which is a psalm all about the history of God's people wandering in the wilderness and all their sinful rebellion. But in that psalm, Psalm 107, we read three different times, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. And understand, these are cries coming from a mixed multitude. Believers praying out of true sorrow for their sin, but also unbelievers simply wanting the difficult circumstances to go away. And yet Psalm 100 itself, 107 itself tells us that He heard them and delivered them out of their distresses. And what all of this is teaching us is that God hears and answers even our imperfect prayers. In other words, the fact that there's some error mingled in with our faith does not nullify the prayer. It's not the case that a prayer has to be absolutely perfect for God to hear it. Because otherwise, He would never hear any one of our prayers. But that raises the important question, how could He hear such a prayer? For Jesus' sake. Our prayers are like every other good work we perform. They're all tainted with sin. They all have our sinfulness clinging to them. And if we ask how could any work be pleasing unto our God, it's because they're washed in the blood of Christ. Even our best works must be cleansed with the blood of Christ. And so it is with our prayers. Our prayers are always imperfect. They always have sins clinging to them. That's why it's entirely appropriate that at the end of our prayer we pray that God would even forgive the sinfulness of this prayer. But yet, He will hear them for Jesus' sake. Because Christ by His Spirit not only works in our hearts so that we pray, working in us the willing and the doing of prayer, but then He takes our imperfect prayers And He washes them in His blood. He he makes them perfect. And then as it's been perfected by Christ, through Christ, that's the prayer that God hears. So I actually want to correct something I said a moment earlier saying God will not hear, that God does hear imperfect prayers. Well, the point being, He only hears perfect prayers, but our imperfect prayers are perfected by Christ, and thus they are heard for His sake. And that's encouragement for us, congregation. Whatever struggle you have in your prayer life, whether it's finding the time to pray, whether it's the fact that you find your mind so easily wanders away during prayer, God will still hear us. 
for the sake of His beloved Son and on the basis of Christ's sacrifice. That, first of all, is our comfort and encouragement. Second, our comfort and encouragement is that Christ Himself is praying on our behalf. That He's making intercession for us. This is evident from Scripture as a whole. Hebrews 7, verse 25, Wherefore He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing that He ever liveth to make intercession for us. It's teaching that This verse is teaching us that Christ as our High Priest, as our Mediator, is praying on our behalf. That's the idea of an, a prayer of intercession. You're praying on behalf of another. And it's knowing that Christ intercedes on our behalf. We can go back to Mark 1, back to Mark 6. And again, make educated guesses as what Christ was praying. Especially in Mark 6. The disciples are in a seemingly dangerous situation. They're caught in a great storm. And where is Christ? He's praying. And is it a stretch to suppose that a part of that prayer was a prayer for His disciples? That God would preserve them? Preserve them physically? And so far as that, it was His prayer, though they were in the midst of a great storm, they were in no real danger. Because God would keep them in His hand. And is it a stretch to suppose He was also praying that God would preserve them spiritually? In light of everything that had just happened, the masses wanting to make Him king and knowing that when He tells them, I'm not come to feed you physically. I'm come to feed you spiritually. I am the bread that you need that many would turn their backs on Christ. And Christ Himself would even ask His disciples, will ye also go away? Is it a stretch to suppose that Christ was praying, God, preserve them from having a false conception concerning the Messiah and what I came to accomplish? Christ prays on our behalf. He's making intercession for us. Not from some mountaintop right now, but from His throne in heaven. And His prayers are perfect. There's no sin mingled in with them. He's praying for you. He's praying for me that God would preserve us physically, spiritually, And you may be sure God will hear His prayer. Because the same hands that our Savior folds in prayer are the very hands that still bear the marks of His crucifixion. 
You see, Christ prays on the basis of His own work. And because He has accomplished our salvation, because He has atoned for our sins, because He has redeemed us by His death on the cross, God will answer the prayers of our High Priest. And does that not make you want to pray all the more? The response is not, well, if Christ is praying for me, then I suppose it's not really needful that I pray at all. I'll just let Him do it and I'll go on with my life. That's not the response. But the response is knowing that He not only died for me, but He now also prays for me. I have all the more reason to be thankful. And now out of gratitude, I too will lift up my voice in the morning. I too will find a place to go to be alone with my God and to enjoy communion with Him. My life will likewise be a praying life. May God grant that by His grace. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, we thank Thee for our Savior Jesus Christ, the One who came into this world not merely to provide an example, but ultimately to save us. Fill our hearts with thankfulness. And may that thankfulness spill over into a life of prayer. Apply this instruction to our hearts and help us to grow in this important aspect of the Christian life. We pray all this for Christ's sake. Amen.